Yeah, it was pretty lonely. Um, it was a pretty lonely process. At one point I did talk to a couple of good friends. I didn't talk to him. I didn't know what to say to him. Um, I think he just knew we were miserable and we were, it was going through the motions and it wasn't, we weren't happy parents. It was like arguing to see who would put the kids to bed and who could get to the TV first. Cause we didn't do anything together. We didn't watch TV together. We didn't, you know, all of it was just really sad. Um, and I, we were good parents. I love, we love our children desperately, but neither of us had any, any joy outside of the kids in our lives of, of any kind. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Heather Vickery. She's the author of Gratitude Journal, Shift Your Focus, and also Grow Grateful, a gratitude journal for kids and families. And she's also the host and executive producer of the Brave Files podcast. Welcome, Heather. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. So I I took a look at your gratitude journal. It's it's your gratitude journal, Shift Your Focus and Grow Grateful. And I was really inspired by what you had written in there. It had not, I've heard of gratitude journals before. I've, I've seen those types of sort of templates for making lives better and more mindful, but the questions that you have there and the thoughts you're sort of asking people to corral were different than any I'd seen before. That's good news. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was really because I have sort of an orientation toward, uh, you know, gratitude. We sort of hear it these days as sort of in the ethos for people who are looking to better themselves. But but there's something very specific about the way you went about asking the people who are looking at your journal to think. And I was wondering how you got to that place of knowing how to write that. Yeah, thank you. So there are two different books. Uh, Shift Your Focus is the book, the first one that I wrote, and it's geared towards um, professionals. And then the second one is Grow Grateful, which is a gratitude journal for kids and families. So I did a short, I can't talk, written component um, combined with the journal to talk about my journey towards gratitude, why it's important, the science behind gratitude and different ways you can bring it into your life. And so the way that I got to it is, you know, um, and it's relevant to the whole topic of your show is several years ago, uh, my life kind of fully exploded. And I, I lovingly say I burned it all to the ground and redid it. And um, gratitude was one of the things that helped me push through that and come out really well on the other side. I've seen the absolute difference that it makes. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book and there's real science behind this, and I love it so much, is our brains literally cannot hold negative and positive thoughts at the same time. That doesn't mean negative thoughts don't come in, but if you have the skill set to close them and bring in a more positive thought, even if it's about a negative topic or a difficult topic, what are your lessons here? What's good in the thing that's bad? All of that. Um, you do have more control over the way your brain works. And then there's a physiological reaction to that. Uh, Gratitude reduces anxiety, depression. It uh, helps truly, there's science, it's amazing to me, keeps you from having a heart attack and heart disease. Uh, But that makes sense, right? Because your stress levels are lower, your body is reacting better, you're processing better. Um, 
of course, it's not treatment for actual mental health issues, but it is great in conjunction with treatment for those things. And for folks who don't have diagnosed mental health issues, it's a game changer, 100%. And even for people that do have it, quite frankly, if you're partnering that with a good therapist and if you need the medication or anything like that, um, it's just 100% natural, easy. I shouldn't say easy because sometimes it's not easy, but um, teachable, trainable habit. The same recommendations for gratitude, start with the easy, low-hanging fruit. Just list three things. And that is one of the things I love about my my books is that they guide you. They they give you very specific things to answer and you can you can just follow those cues and you don't have to put a lot of guesswork at it. I find a blank journal or a blank notebook really overwhelming personally. Yeah. And I know a lot yeah. of other people do. Um well, I think there's also this idea of writing, right? And not all, even I, I'm a writer and even I might get a little overwhelmed by the prospect of what I'm supposed to fill up the page with. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't know where to start. So, but, you know, gratitude is one of those things that most people are going to go for the low hanging fruit. I'm grateful for my job, my family, I'm grateful to have a house or, you know, a car that works. Uh, and that's all fine and good. And then I want people to challenge themselves to not repeat those answers each day so that you're looking for something else. Because where we want you to get is where uh, there are things around you that you can find gratitude in every second. So for me, when I find myself stressed or overwhelmed in a moment, I'll stop and I'll take two deep breaths and I'll find five things that I can see, taste, smell, hear, or touch at this very moment. So if I'm sitting right, if I were to do it right now, I'm grateful for my laptop. I'm grateful for my awesome microphone that I have to record podcasts on. I'm grateful for the pictures of my kids around the room that um, remind me of my why. I'm grateful for my comfortable chair and the glass of water that I have next to me, right? So I I now am at a point where I can pull it out. And most people don't even think of that. They think it has to be something really big and it doesn't. If you can find the beauty that surrounds you at all times, that's what you focus on. That's what you cling on. And it's easier than to find it as you move through your day, your week, your month, your year and building those habits. So I have a a specialization in positive psychology. And one of the very first things that they teach you, you know, psychology used to be, how do you go from bad to zero? How do you go from awful to to nothing? And then a, a doctor named Martin Seligman came in and he said, that can't be it, right? Like there's, we can't just get to zero. There's gotta be a way to actually get to better or to get to happy. And the number one way to do that is having a daily gratitude practice. And if you do it for six weeks straight, it becomes habit and they can markedly test through MRIs and whatnot that you are in fact a happier person for having done it. And is it is is the technique behind it? I mean, it's kind of a rote type of thing in the beginning, but is it because it sort of interrupts the thought pattern yep. and it just sort of stops that. Correct. It interrupts the thought pattern. It creates new ones. It helps you look at things differently. It, it helps you process struggle quicker. Like once you build the habit, you're able to think yourself through things a little bit more quickly. Um, it even gets me personally to a state of apologizing faster. So I had a row this morning with one of my teenagers and I was so angry and I was so frustrated, but then I know she was also, and I was ready to, I was like, fine, I'm going to leave you here. And I, (laughs) I walked out and then I was like, okay, hold on, hold on a second. 
I'm in control. She's a kid. This is silly. I need to go and ask better questions. But my ability to stop and do that comes from my connection with gratitude, right? I'm grateful that I have the forethought and the life experience to say, wait a minute, what's actually going on here, right? And not to just be guided by those natural human instincts that make us, you know, get hot and upset very quickly. So it's shifted the way I interact with everyone. Um, It's how I close every coaching call with my clients. Let's list 10 things you're grateful for. And they all go, 10 And I'm like, listen, if you can't find 10 things you're grateful for, we got bigger problems than what you came to me for in the first place. And I like how you you sort of clarified that this is not uh, in exchange for counseling. If you need counseling, this is not a denial necessarily of the things that are actual stressors that need to be coped with. Right. There's like a it's not sort of sweeping everything under the rug. Right. Like, how do you, how do you navigate telling clients who, well, although I would imagine that if people are coming to you, they're already ready to make a change, (laughs) right? Yeah, they are. People who come to me, um, it has, whatever it is, it has hurt enough that they no longer want to accept it. They're ready to actually make real change, put their time, their money and their effort on the line and make something happen, which is what we do. It's very exciting. But, um, yes. It isn't, in fact, it's the opposite of shoving something under the rug. I actually want you to take it and look at it. So if something difficult happens, I, my challenge to you is what are the lessons? What are the blessings in the difficulty? Where can you now grow and be healthier and make different choices? Uh, I'll have people on my podcast all the time and we'll talk about horrible experiences that they've had. And I will still ask them, what's been the silver lining from this experience? Because when we can find the good thing within the difficult thing, we just process so much faster and we, we move through it. But, you know, there's a, there's a person out now who's got kind of a girls suck it up and get over it. Um, approach, wash your face and and move on approach. And I really am not a fan of that approach. I don't want you to just wash your face and get over it. I want you to look at it. I want you to process it. Why did this happen? How do I prevent this from happening again? Now I know I've had this experience. I can, I can acknowledge it and it doesn't have to own me. I can make different right. choices. And that is not saying that something necessarily was your fault, you know, That's because right. you're also talking about people who have experienced trauma, Absolutely, perhaps, yeah. who, who by no fault of their own had to go through some really difficult things. Absolutely. So it's sort of keeping in mind the experience that you came from, but also understanding that you've got the empowerment and the ability to try to transform and move out. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So in terms of your own mindset, how long have you been in this place where you were able to navigate like this? <laughs> yeah, I would say for me personally, probably about five years. Um, it was a process for sure. And I don't want to mislead anybody. Don't think that I don't have bad days. I do. I think that's and good to I hear. I get angry and I lose my temper. Yeah. Um, it, it Sometimes... I will also ruminate on what's really crappy. I just get out of that space a little quicker than some other folks do because of the tools and the resources that I have at at my disposal, right? So So I'm going to challenge you here because sometimes doesn't it feel good to be mopey? Oh yeah, I 
I, yes, I mean, I like it, it sometimes. Um, I have to admit it. I call that just sort of listening to my inner intuition. I need to, I need to nurture myself a little, I need to slow down. Um, something inside of me is telling me to step back and to take a bath or to watch something on TV or to read or whatever. And I really work hard to listen to that inner intuition because she, she guides me very well most of the time. Uh, and I'll tell my daughters, okay, you need a mental health day. You need a day to, to sort of take off and lay around. Let's do that. But we don't want to do that for too long because those things become habits also. So yeah, it totally feels good to be mopey when you're in control of it. And if it's in control of you and you can't get out of that state, yeah. then it's a problem. Yeah. Okay. And so when you were a child, when you were a teenager, what would you say your overarching like demeanor or characteristics were? Were you a pretty uh, like positive person? Yeah, I have always been a, a positive glass half full kind of person. I'll tell you what I've been really spending a lot of time with in the last six to eight months is there, I meet so many people who most of their life they've been told, no, you can't, or either, either they've been told that or they felt that, uh, not worthy, can't try things. I've never experienced that. And I am unbelievably privileged and blessed to be able to say that there's never, ever been a moment in my life that I can recall that I wasn't empowered to create change or to try what I wanted or to do. Is that from your family of origin? Yeah. And I, I give my mom most of the credit for that. I was so she loved me so hard and maybe not always perfectly by any stretch, but so hard that I, I always felt worthy as a human. Even when I was a depressed teenager, because all teenagers are and you're hard on yourself and college is hard. I always knew I was worthy. And, and then there was a small time where I lost her a little bit, that space in me. Um, I'd been married for yes, a number of years. This, I had a number of amazing, yeah, yeah, a number of amazing, I have four children. I didn't have all four yet, but I had three really special, wonderful children. Uh, and yet I felt very small. I felt like I was going through the motions of life and there wasn't anything special. Uh, I Every decision I made was fear-based. Do you, do you understand, uh, you know, I'm happy to spend time with this story because I think it's really crucial to who you are now. So you were married to someone that you knew for a long time? Or? No, um, my ex-husband and I met, well, that now is 2001. Yeah, 2001 is when we met. Um we dated for about a year. He was a really nice guy. And I thought he's going to make a great dad, right? He, we, we were good friends. We were never in love. We thought we were, but we weren't. <laughs> we were in, this is going to, this isn't going to be a good fit kind of space. Um, got married a year, a year later, had a baby a year later, which is all I wanted to be, to be fa- completely fair. All I wanted was to be a mother. It was my my major goal at that time, I, I desperately wanted children. And were you worried um, about the time? I'm so grateful for every were, decision. Were you worried I've about your, your age and the time? <laughs> yeah. Well, Isn't no, I funny? mean, it's very, it's, I was, yeah, I was 29 and 
that which is not old. I know it's and, not old now. But it took like longer than a <laughs> yeah. couple months. It took a couple months and I was like, why is everybody having babies except me? And then I just had to figure out like what my body actually worked. I, I ovulate early. So, but I didn't know that because I hadn't ever paid attention. And as soon as I figured out that's what was happening, I, I got pregnant and I could, this is TMI. This is how you know you're married to the wrong person. I could tell you the date and time all four of my children were. <laughs> so what you're trying to tell me <laughs> in sort of a delicate way is that you, you weren't very, you guys weren't very sexually active. We weren't sexually yeah, compatible. So before before <laughs> yeah. you had married him, had you had relationships with men where you were in love or felt swept off your feet at all? Sure. I had been swept off my feet, but I'd never been satisfied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where we're going with this, listen, you don't already know this. And I'm trying to put the breadcrumbs out. The rest of us do. We're in on the secret. I know. Um, I realized about eight years into my marriage that I was married to the wrong gender. Um, I, I'd always been attracted to women, but in, and I was just having this conversation with my older daughter, cause she was talking about, and she's identifying a straight, like, oh, that woman is so, so gorgeous. God, she's beautiful. And I would think that. And I didn't know that the way that felt inside of me physiologically was different than the way it felt. Right. Because women, women say that. So I didn't, I, mean, I didn't know any less. Women say that lesbians. all the time. Yeah. Women say that. That's right. And I was, you were supposed to get married to someone of the opposite sex. You were supposed to have kids. I wanted to have kids. It just didn't occur to me that it was more than that until again. And I think I said earlier in, in this interview, people come to me when it hurts so much that they're no longer willing to accept it until I reach that point. And I'm like, wait, what is this? What actually is this? And um, I started to dig in on that space. Was that and hard to do? Was I that- actually... Yeah, it was really hard to do. And that's when I, I moved into fear-based because I didn't know what to do with it for such a long time. How long were uh, you I keeping knew it quiet? I wanted something different. Several years. Um, and I knew that I, I was just wondering, like during this time when, when this was happening for you, do you think that your husband had any clue at all or were you really guarding this quietly? Yeah, it was pretty lonely. Um, it was a pretty lonely process. At one point I did talk to a couple of good friends. I didn't talk to him. I didn't know what to say to him. Um, I think he just knew we were miserable and we were, it was going through the motions and it wasn't, we weren't happy parents. It was like arguing to see who would put the kids to bed and who could get to the TV first. Cause we didn't do anything together. We didn't watch TV together. We didn't, you know, all of it was just really sad. Um, and I, we were good parents. I love, we love our children desperately, but neither of us had any, any joy outside of the kids in our lives of, of any kind. And eventually um, he did find out and we play a lot of, a lot of people in the LGBTQ community. And I, this, I don't want to, this is not by erasure at all because I do know people who are legitimately bi, but often on the path to, gay or lesbian, we go, it's okay. I'm bi. I like, I like both genders. It's okay. So I did that. I played that. Um, and I, I, all the props in the world to my friends who are bi, because I think, um, 
that that's maybe a more difficult position to be in. And a lot of folks don't understand it, but I'm not, I'm just still, I'm just a good old lesbian, um, but I'm a girly lesbian. I wear high heels and makeup and dresses and people don't ever look at me and think lesbian. And my mom was like, you can't be a lesbian. You don't like wear cargo pants and have short hair. I'm like, no, but I can be. And so, you know, I'm just curious, like when you, when you started confiding in friends, did, did anyone say to you, uh, that seems to make sense. Or, I mean, did anyone in your life level with you or say anything to you or like, as, yeah. as this awareness grew, what else started to fall into place that was like little breadcrumbs on the trail for you from like your teenage years and, you know, beyond, oh, I think that <laughs> woman is beautiful too, but inside of me, something else is happening. Like beyond that, what else like tipped you off that, ah, yeah, I, as I look back, there were plenty of signs that I just didn't pick up on. I'm like, oh, that I should have figured, I should have figured that out. We actually, there's one joke. I don't know uh, what kind of language. You can go ahead. I can use on your podcast. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, when my ex and I were dating, Britney Spears was super, super popular and she was young, but so was I then. And um, there, she was on the magazine cover and we were checking out at the grocery store and I turned to him and I was like, I would fuck the shit out of her. And, and he laughed. He thought it was amazing, right? Like what guy doesn't want your pretty girlfriend to think that about the pretty celebrity? And, and I really meant it. And I still didn't think that that meant anything. Um, and then, you know, just all sorts of things in, in my life that I, I got my response from my friends. Most of them were not at all surprised that the marriage was ending. They could tell that that was not ever a thing. Um, many of them were very surprised about my sexuality, but not all of them. Some of them said, that makes sense. I can see that. Uh, but what happened inside of me is I told most people in in short, like I would come in and I would do one-on-ones and I can remember that I would just get hot. You know, you would get hot up your neck and, and you'd be sweating and nervous. And every time I would tell somebody and they would have a positive reaction, which happened always except for in two scenarios, which I can share with you later. Um, I would, the way I describe it is I would be able, there would be a little more air in my lungs. And eventually I got to a point where I was actually taking full deep breaths. And I didn't know that I hadn't been doing that for the majority of my life. Wow. Like you actually had a, a physical way of the world. Yes. Yeah. And, and do you, yes, I, I literally wasn't able to do a yoga class or to meditate or anything like that until after I'd come out, you know, for several years with people because I didn't know how to breathe. Do you think that was a, like a learned coping mechanism or you just came into the world like that? I don't know. I wish I knew the answer to that. I don't, I don't know. I know that when we don't step out into the world as our truest version of ourselves, we, our bodies don't function properly. Mm -hmm. I know that. And for some people that could be breathing for other people, it's anxiety, it's stress, it's all sorts of other things. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The world needs us to be authentic. We deserve to be authentic and we cannot be physically and mentally and emotionally whole or happy until we are. Um, yeah, there were only two people that did not react 
fairly well to my news. I mean, one of my, one of my good friends, I loved this. I took her out to dinner and I was really stressed and I was nervous. And she's one of the earlier people I came out to. And I said, I just have to tell you, I'm a lesbian. And she goes, oh God, I thought you were going to tell me you were moving. <laughs> I was like, this is not a big deal. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, I love you so much. It was so great. Uh, my mom did not react well at all. It was really quite ugly for about three weeks. And then she took a moment. And I understand, as a parent, I understand when, when your child's life does not go the way you envision it going, there is, it's traumatic. There's a healing process. There's a whole new learning mechanism that has to go into it. And for her, I think more than anything, she was afraid that I would be harmed, that I would be rejected by loved ones, that, um, that my life would be more difficult. And then about three weeks in when everybody in my family knew and everybody in my family had said, well, we don't really understand, but we love you. So whatever, it's no big deal. She went, wait a minute, she's fine. Maybe I should be fine. <laughs> and, you know, she went through her process and after a few months, she was great. And she's such good friends with my partner now. They text each other on their own. <laughs> and my mom will tell you that the most difficult and rewarding experience of her life was my coming out because it was hard for her. But she now sees me happy for the first time, like really happy for the first time ever. And that's all a parent wants. So that's been amazing. Now, my stepmom, my dad has actually been great. Uh, my dad's super religious. He said, my religion tells me this is wrong, but I don't know how to process that because you're my child and I love you. So whatever. Um, my stepmom, I no longer exist. She's erased me from existence. My kids are erased from existence. Uh, but she hasn't required him to do so, thankfully. And he has been great. He and I are close. He's buddies with my partner as well. So if my only real loss is her, oh, well. Yeah. I mean, they've been together since I was 18 months old. I've known her my whole life, but I can live with that. No big deal. That's uh, right? that's hard. I mean, um, I know you can. It's it's the hard. Lost. Yeah, for sure. It's just a really hard thing to reconcile. I mean, she's known you since you were a baby. Uh -huh. You're the same person. Yeah, you know, she's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, it has nothing to do with her, and that's. But that was the big process for everybody. Is this actually had nothing to do with anyone but me? And to my to my ex-husband's credit, I mean, we've gone up and down. There have been times since since I came out and since we got divorced where we've been really good friends. And there have been times where it's horrible because, you know, he didn't invite any of this. He didn't ask for this. Um, I try to be patient with him. I, I caused him a lot of pain. I know that I did for years. You mean before, because, before you came out? Oh, before and after, you know, he didn't, even when I came out, he didn't want a divorce and I pushed through on the divorce and, um, you know, he didn't sign up for this. And, and I, it's completely changed the way his life was going to go. And so, you know, there's, there's grief involved in that and he's got to go through his own process. So I don't begrudge him any of that. But, you know, when my, when my mom first found out, she called him and she said, I'm on your side. And he said, no, you're not. He said, first of all, there aren't sides. There are not sides to take here. But if there were, your only option is to take your daughter's side. You cannot take my side. And he said, you don't get to be mad. Anybody here who could be mad 
is me and I'm not mad. I'm just sad. You don't get to be mad about this. This isn't about you. Wow. So he got a lot of props for me from that. Yeah. How's he doing these days? Did he, how, how are things? (laughs) Same, same as what I just said. It it goes, it ebbs and flows. And, um, is he married? You know, his process is story. He is not. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it made me wonder though, a little bit when you were talking about that, because your earlier, the background you gave about your marriage prior to you realizing that, you know, you needed to change your life. Um, it sounds like it wasn't a fully operational or, uh, generous marriage, right? I mean, does he, does he recognize that? He does, but he comes from the type of family that kind of loves to be miserable. (laughs) (laughs) They, they sort of thrive on finding a reason to complain and, he, it, he would rather be married to me and miserable than miserable on his own. I hear you. Mm-hmm. And, and so my hope for him is what you said, is that he finds a full partner that fulfills him and gives him all the things that I couldn't and that he deserves to have. I hope that he can heal himself enough to seek those things out but it's not my story and it's not my story to, to tell. And I, I want those things for him so badly. And I think my girls do too. How, how long did it take you to, to get to that point where you realized that his reactions and his trajectory, you know, no longer have to be entwined with what, what you did? <laughs> Sometimes that's still not the case. I always want him to be happy. I want him to heal and do better. Uh, he is one of the very few people that I have to really work hard to not own his reactions to things. I am an empath and one of my daughters is unbelievably empathetic as well. And so I take on other people's emotions and I've worked really hard. I mean, it's funny because as a coach, I hear other people's emotions all the time and I've worked really hard to be able to build boundaries to use that to, to support other people, but not to harm myself. And with my children and my partner and my ex-husband, those are the, those are the six people that um, I'm not very successful at. I, I have to work very, very hard not to absorb their emotions. And I think it's just because I care so deeply about their well-being. Yeah including his, he is the father of my children. Mm-hmm. I, I want his health and happiness and success as much as I want anyone's. My partner asked me yesterday, this is so random, but uh, somebody that she knows through a, through a Facebook group donated a kidney to her ex-husband. And she said, would you donate a kidney to him? And I said, well, of course I would. Mm-hmm. And she's like, without question. And I said, of course I would. He's the husband or he's the father of my children. Right. I said, I would donate a kidney to a stranger if I actually thought it would save their life. You think I wouldn't <laughs> give it to my ex-husband, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but I have, even though I feel his feelings yeah. and, and my kids and my partner, I still know enough. I'm experienced enough and I'm trained enough to say, I don't have to own your feel. I honor your feelings. They exist. You have the right to them, but they are not mine. They are not about me. And uh, so I go through this process, right? I use all my tools and all my resources to say, 
you're yelling at me because you're harmed and you're hurt, but this is not actually mine. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if that's a, a recurring theme in the people you work with as well. Is, is that something that they have sure. to work with it, to separate what they can change, what's oh, theirs goodness. to change and what is not <laughs> theirs to change? Every time. Yeah. Every time. Awareness. Yes. What is yours? What isn't yours? What can you do? There's always, you know, I spend a lot of time with people helping them figure out where their power is uh-huh. because I challenge anybody in any situation. There's always one thing you can do to be a little more in control than you are always. And we get so wrapped up in feeling out of control or like, you know, life is happening too fast or somebody's telling us what to do or whatever it is that we don't stop and say, what can I do to be more in control of this situation of myself? We can't change anyone but ourselves. But when we change ourselves, the people around us change by default. I love that. Yep. Yeah. And the practice that you teach people to put into place, I would imagine probably once people get it, it doesn't, you just need to keep doing it, right? Like it, it can, just keep doing it, it can become part of you. Yes. I, I, at the beginning of most coaching programs with people, I will say, look, you don't have to believe me that this works. You just have to be willing to do it anyway, because it does work. And most of these because I sort of partner a very woo-woo approach with a very analytic approach. I am an analytic person. I want proof. I want to know how or why. But you have to have enough faith and belief in the unknown. And, and I'm not a religious person, so I, I'm not saying it that way. But there has to be able to be something different. What change do you believe is possible? And if they've come to me, then they do believe there's change possible, right? They've put their time and, and their money on the line and them themselves, because I ask a lot of my clients to be really honest and vulnerable, do this hard work. So you don't have to understand or like, or believe the tools that I'm giving you to try. Like gratitude is one of them. Just try it and commit to it. I always have people commit in really bite-sized chunks. Let's commit for one week until we talk again. Can you do this thing every day? for one week. And then let's talk about how it made you feel. What did you learn? How are you more aware of yourself and your behavior and how you move through the day? How do people react to you? Do you want to keep it? Do you want to change it? Do you want to release it? So you don't have to believe in these, how these things work. You just have to try them until you have proof for yourself that they work, which is most folks want that, that actual hardcore evidence. Right. And you don't get it unless you try. Right. No, it's true. It's sort of you have to sometimes act as if or or do the behavior first before you actually see and believe the results, right? It's like a leap right. of faith. Um, yep. And that's why finding a coach that you feel comfortable with and that you trust to do things that even if they feel like hard things um, or or things that you think are crazy. So you're know, finding the right personality matchup on a coach is absolutely crucial. Right. But you should, you should also definitely trust your intuition, right? I mean, oh yeah, not yeah. all coaches are the same and I'm sure there, there might be some there that may not be working the way that, for example, you're working. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Ask the right questions, get a good vibe, make sure that the person that you're choosing to entrust with this growth in yourself is going to be a good, you know, emotional fit for you. Cause 
it, it's a very raw experience. And if you don't feel that connection, you're not going to put yourself all mm-hmm. in. Right. Of course. Your, um, your children, are they, how are they these days? They're great. They're great. I mean, I have two teenagers and then two littler ones and being a teenager is really hard. Yeah. Really I, have, hard. I, have one of those. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do it again <laughs> for anything. I don't like nothing. I don't think I realized how hard it was actually until I saw it happening again in my house. So when I, when I was a teenager, I mean, I know it wasn't fun in many ways and I'm remembering it more because one of my kids is there. So I get it, you know? Um, so, right. So, so you feel like you're, your true self now. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. All the time. Yeah. So where can people find, where would you like to send listeners to find you and your work? Yeah. So my kids think that I'm a celebrity because if you type my name into Google, my picture pops up. It's just amazing. I I don't have that. Yeah. I don't know about that. I don't have the heart to tell them it's just really good SEO. (laughs) Um, but I'm super easy to find. My website is vickeryandco.com. My email is Heather at Vickery and Co. You can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Instagram and Twitter is at Vickery and Co. Facebook's at Vickery and Co. So my podcast is called The Brave Files. And, and there's a lot. I mean, we t- this was a fun conversation, but I had this moment in my life with my kids where, and by this time I had four kids, um, I looked at them all and I'd been making these fear-based decisions and I felt so small and I thought, what would I want for them if they came to me in this situation? What would I tell them to do? And it wasn't live with it, suck it up, whatever. I wanted them to go out and play big and live big and be themselves. And it was at that moment that I thought, if I want that for them, I have to show them how. And everything changed. I went from fear-based to limitless possibility, just knowing that I had to show them how. I had to give them a path to, to seek. You can't be something you can't imagine. And everything changed. And so I embraced fear in a big way. I don't want to be fearless. I don't think that that's, I don't think anybody should want to be fearless. Only sociopaths and three-year-olds are fearless. Fear is important. It saves our lives. And it's also telling us something. So if you can learn to sit with it and dissect it and understand what it's telling you, you can leverage that fear into intentional bravery. And so that's what I help people do as a coach. And that's what my podcast is about. It's called The Brave Files. And I interview people who have stepped out of fear and into bravery in literally every element of life. And my goal is for the listeners to understand that there are a thousand different ways a day to choose bravely. And when we choose bravely on purpose, we choose bigger. We win bigger and it is contagious to everyone around us. Heather, thank you very much for spending this time with me and for sharing your story. I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. I'm uh, honored to have the opportunity to to have it with you and share this uh, experience with your listeners. Yeah, I'm so glad you were able to do it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.